In the kingdom, all earthly concepts are flipped on their head. If we desire to be loved, we must first love. If we desire vision, we must first close our eyes. In order to receive, we must first give. Knowing how difficult these concepts could be, Jesus used parables to make the complex simple and easier to grasp. In the parable of the talents, we are presented with many topics touching on the concept of generosity, stewardship, and management. But there is one that rules over all of them, trust. Each servant was given a portion of the master's wealth to manage based on the level of trust they had earned with him. We steward the resources God has given us, not to simply get more, but to increase our trust with God so he sees us as a trustworthy investment. Join us this next sermon series as we learn what it means to be entrusted. All right, good morning, AWC. You ready? Okay, so really quick, really quick. Oh, God bless y'all. You, 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 you can take a seat. 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 Uh, we're we're going to jump right in uh, because this sermon series, we don't know how long it's going to be. It might be five weeks. It might be six weeks. It might be eight weeks. We don't, we, we don't, I mean, we kind of have like an idea. I know that some people are like, dang, we're going to be talking about money for eight weeks. Yeah, because you need some. So I want to give you like some objectives for this sermon series before Pastor Martin comes um, because the word of God is going to be the seed for this sermon series. Um, but for first, I want to I give a disclaimer. Can I give a disclaimer right quick? There has been a lot of sermons, a lot of doctrine, uh, a lot of conversations around money and the church, and it can get really weird. It, it, it can get funky. It, it, it can smell kind of bad, and people will say, like, well, I don't like the prosperity gospel because it's all about, like, getting stuff. Now, the thinking behind prosperity gospel can be warped, but the thinking behind God wanting his children to have nice things is not. Okay, so I really want to make sure that as we're walking, somebody say week by week, we are going to build principle upon principle upon principle. But I want to make sure that you understand that it, there should be no guilt with you wanting nice things. As long as once you get the nice thing, you remember where your help came from. So this entire sermon series, we are wanting to empower you to be a better person in the marketplace, in your business. We're, but the one thing I want to make sure you understand is that we're not just going to be entrusted with money and things. Your biggest commodity is your time and your energy. So in the sermon series, we're hoping to help the people of God understand how to make the right investments with the right people the right time, and the right energy. How many of you guys know there's some stuff last year you probably shouldn't have spent as much time with it? We're going to give you some principles this, this, this sermon series to make it work out. Cool? So if you're ready for the word clap once, cool, let's jump right into it. Let's go to Matthew 25, 14 through 15. The story of the talents and the servants and the master is going to be our anchor scripture. How many of you guys have ever heard the story before? A man goes away, he entrusts, I'm sorry, he, he gives a, a piece of his wealth to each one of his servants. So this sermon series, we're going to be talking about what it actually means to gain trust with God. Well, PJ, what does gaining trust with God have to do with money and finances and things? I want to make sure you understand something. Uh, write down point number one. What you have is a sign of how much God trusts you. What you have, every possession that you have, the time that you have, the energy that you have, hey, guess what? The grace that you have, it's all proof of how much God trusts you. And we're going to jump through the word. Is that okay? 
Matthew 25, 14, 14 through 15, this is the New Living Translation. Again, what does it say? The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Can you read this with me? Say, he called together his servants, and, and what did he do? He entrusted whose money? His money. Really quick. Everything that you have is not yours. Your children are not yours. Your marriage is not yours. Your money is not yours. Everything that we have, if we're going to look at finances, if we're going to look at money and things from the kingdom perspective, I need you to shout it out. It's not mine. Because the minute that you claim it as yours, you become responsible to sustain it. You become responsible to grow it. So there's a reason why we taught you that new song earlier. Because now you've locked into the spirit and you've told God that all of my help comes from who? God. So that means that the money that you have to buy the house, it wasn't because you got a promotion. God was generous, generous enough to give you skills and characters that your boss saw and liked, then he promoted. He didn't promote you. He promoted the gift that God gave you. But if we get this mixed up, we will become hungry for prosperity based off of our efforts. There is nothing that you can do on earth to get more outside of the grace of God and keep it. Because the minute that you put your stamp on it, look at your neighbor and say, you have to sustain it. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together whose servants? His servants and entrusted them with what? His money. His servants, his money. His servants, his money. If you are in the kingdom of God and you've been saved by grace, yes, you're going to heaven. That's great. But when God paid the price for you with his blood, he paid the price for you. And I know this might be a really weird concept to understand, but the minute you gave your heart to Christ, he owns you now. Like you are property of the kingdom. Therefore, if you are property of the kingdom, he is able to use you how he pleases. But what will get in the way of God using you in the way that he wants is if you've never really sold out to the idea that you're owned. There's a reason why by March 15th of this year, you have to license your dog. Because if your dog comes to my house and I claim him, is he mine? Well, I mean, in the country where we, where we from, any dog that show up in your yard and come back the next day, that's your dog. But this isn't the country. And you bet not let that dog in the house, right, Jason? He's an outside dog. But if your dog comes to my house and I take him into my house and I clothe him and I, and, I, and I bathe him and I give him a new dog chain and I rename him, guess what? He's still not mine. Why? Because you paid a price. So if you sell your soul to money, money can't pay the price to redeem you. There's only one person on earth that paid the price for you. There's only one person that owns you, and his name is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Okay. Jesus wants you to be wealthy, but not if it means that you have to turn away from him. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last. I want you to write this down. I want you to underline it, highlight it, like, like copy, paste it, put it on the gram for your Facebook, Instagram feed or Inspirational Monday. Dividing it in what? Proportion to what? Their abilities. He then leapt on his trip. The title of this sermon series is Entrusted, and this is what it means to be entrusted. It means to assign the responsibility for doing something. Let's go to John 3.16. For God, for this is how, somebody say this is how. 
This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but what? Have eternal life. God trusted you to do the right thing with the generosity that he showed you. I want to break down one misconception. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't save anyone. Oh, that's new doctrine for you. When Jesus died on the cross, you didn't become redeemed. You didn't get saved. There was no hook him aside. You didn't get the fruits of the spirit. You didn't get like the gifts of the spirit. When Jesus died, he gave you an opportunity to join in the free life that he has. So the reason why some people are able to receive the blessings of God isn't because they're better than you, but they've actually sold their entire being to what it means to be in the kingdom. I want to make sure that you understand this eight weeks is not a financial seminar on how to make Bitcoin. These eight weeks are not strategies for you to go and make financial investments. This eight weeks is for you to actually make the decision in your Christian life to sell out to the only financial institution that works and has no money in it. Your God is so good that he's never printed a dollar. His face isn't on a stamp. It's not on a coin. But guess what? Everything is his. So instead of trying to rule the world and have everything, you can get access to everything by giving your soul to him. Does that make sense? The root of generosity is love. For God so, somebody say loved. Loved the world. God was the first to ever give. So that's the reason why when we talk about tithes and offerings and finances, God will never ask you to do something for him that he hasn't already done for you a hundred times over. But do you understand the price that Jesus paid to pay for your life? All of the money in the world, all of the riches, everything in this room would not be able to pay him back a tenth of what he did for us. And it's all because he loved us. Which means that it doesn't matter how much you give, it doesn't matter how generous you are, if your heart posture is wrong, it's all for nothing. Jesus could have died on the cross, Miss Javon, with the wrong heart posture, and it would have been impossible for us to enter the kingdom. Jesus wasn't just sent on assignment. Jesus actually believed that when he died, that you were worth the price that was given. That's, you should shout right there. He wasn't just following orders. He actually believed that this is the way to save the earth, that I give my life for these people. The fact that he was willing to give at that level should produce trust in us towards him. We struggle with giving God 10%. In Jesus, God didn't bat an eye with giving him, giving his only son. Like, I want to make this very practical. The money that you got, God gave it to you. The house that you got, God gave it to you. And when Jesus was talking to God about coming to earth, there was no conversation because he actually loves you. The second objective of this sermon series is that when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to generosity, because generosity is not just about money and things. Generosity sometimes is your time. Generosity is sometimes falling on your knees to pray for the person that we believe doesn't deserve grace. The question is not that you would give more. God wants to know when it comes to the decision-making process of when I ask you to give something, do I have your heart? Because he's gonna, how many of you guys have ever been asked to give some big things? Not even money. There's some people in this organization that have given away houses and cars. But you want to know what's just as detrimental as giving away a million dollars? If you want to be married, giving your heart away. Because that's generosity. 
when we got married, I didn't just give vows. I literally took my heart and gave it to my wife, but I had to love her first. So I want to shatter this thing that makes us believe that we're giving to a God out of obedience because if we don't, he'll strike us down. No, he won't strike you down, but he will abandon you. The business idea won't work without God because the idea came from him first, Jerry. How can we get the dream from God, get the idea from God to start the business? He tells you how to move your money. And then all of a sudden, once we make our first million, now we don't need God. And then we're weirded out when the plan doesn't work. Remember what I said before. It's not yours. So the business idea that you got while walking the dog that you thought was your intuition, it actually came from God. And guess what? Write this down. He expects that you give it back to him. Point number two, trust is lost in buckets and gained back in drops. Everything that you are given presents you with an opportunity to build trust with God. Not to build your wealth, not to build your legacy, not to leave something for your great, 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 great grandkids, which is great, which is awesome. Leaving them a million dollars is great, but leaving them the truth about who God is, is even better. But everything you have, every opportunity, every dollar, every cent, every relationship, every mistake that you have made is an opportunity for you to build trust with God. God's want isn't the thing you give. It's the process your mind goes through when he asks for it. Now, how many of you guys have a greedy child? Oh, y'all don't, oh, y'all don't wanna, all your kids are wonderful. Well, I was the greedy child. I didn't, like, I didn't like sharing no chips. I didn't like sharing no fries. I didn't like sharing nothing. And guess what? I never paid for any of it. Not only did I not pay for it, I got what I wanted, didn't have to pay for it, and then didn't want to share with the person that bought it for me. But then I started to realize that my parents would ask for a bite of my sandwich, not because they were hungry, not because they needed to consume food for substance. God doesn't need your money to pay his bills. God needs your money, your time, your efforts, and your energy, not because he needs it from you, but he wants to know, do you really trust me? Whenever I'm like, I, I take like uh, uh, Kylan's kids out and like we get like canes and I get them three chicken strips. I'm like, hey, can I have a fry? No. And they have no idea. I got like two extra things of fries. If you would give me one, I got a whole... How many things have we missed out on of the children of God because we're silly? That you really think that God needs 10%. What is God going to do with a billion dollars? God doesn't need your money. Look at your neighbor and say he needs your heart. During the sermon series, third objective, we're going to deal with your thought process when it comes to when he asks. If you can fix your heart to be right when he asks, no matter what he asks for, Abraham, you'll give it to him. Because you know that God cannot take anything away from you that he cannot give back to you even double. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not mine. The way God invests in the earth is by investing in people. Let's break down John 3.16 one time, and then I'm going to get out of here. Pastor Martin's going to tear the house down. If you're ready for Pastor Martin, clap once. For God loved the world so much, he gave his only son to redeem dirty, frustrated, sinful people back to himself. 
This is the Joshua-ism of John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he redeemed Joshua, gave him purpose, grace, and mercy to do his will on earth. The way in which God loves the world isn't by doing miracles. It's by sending you. The family that you have, God entrusted you with them. There's a reason why some people got seven kids. There's a reason why some people, and, and I pray that, that your womb would open up, or maybe there's a grace on you. There's a reason why some people struggle with infertility, which is a real thing, just so that you know. But there's a grace that's attached to what he trusted you with. You want to know the easiest way to get frustrated with God? Is to claim things that he never gave you and to try and apply the grace that he gave you for your little, for what you have that is too much. We grow in trust with God when we actually trust that what he gave us is for us. So it matters how you look at the house at 8,000 uh, 8, square feet. It matters how you look at your apartment at 200 square feet. I mean, that's like New York. You like, you know, and you're paying $2,000 a month for 200 square feet. Because if somebody say the principle, what you do, and I used to hate my dad for this because it used to bother me. What you will do with 10 cents, you will do with $10 billion. No, I won't, because once I get all that money, it'll be easy to give. Aha, aha. That means that your heart posture is wrong. I'm single now, but I can be, once I get married, I'll turn to a man. Whoa, time out. No, 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 no. Because what you do right now in your single life, that's what speaks louder than after the honeymoon. So all God wants you to know is, I'm asking you to give your tithes and your offering. Not because I need your money. I need your heart. I want you to write this down. God trusted you with his son. And we struggle trusting him with what is his. It's mine. I gave you what's mine. And what you have is mine. But you won't even give me what's mine? It's so bad, Andrea. Jesus told them. These guys came up to Jesus and they said, hey, so like... What do we do with our money? You said we're supposed to give 10%, but like we live here in Rome. What did Jesus say? Jesus was so tough that he would use things that would confuse the weirdos around the world, but people that really wanted to understand the kingdom principle would listen to what he said, read in between the lines, and get the concept. If you do not learn how to go to church and read in between the lines and get what you need from God, this will never fill your cup. Nothing that I say, nothing that we do up here will fill your cup. You have to have relationship with Christ enough to have questions. What was he talking about at that hour and 15 mark? Maybe I should go get my Strongs. Maybe I should go get my Concordance. Maybe I should show up to the women's small group with Pastor Linnell Cali. Like, like maybe I should do that and do the work. Somebody say do the work. It's not enough just to show up. You got to do the work. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, so you said we're supposed to give you what's ours. But all we have is yours. But we live in Rome, and we got to pay these things called taxes. Jesus was so silly. This is what he did. He said, whose name is on the dollar? Who's, whose face? Whose face is on the? Who, whose face is that? That's you, Jesus. I ain't got curly hair. I'm born in the middle. Like, I'm not. No, I don't have straight hair. Who is this? Caesar. This is what Jesus said. Give unto Caesar what is Caesars. If you're in Rome, guess what Caesars? Everything. But then Jason, Jesus said this, but you should give unto God what belongs to God. Well, what does God own? 
Everything. So this sermon series is not for you to like try to sue the government and not, I don't want to pay a mortgage because God owes everything. No, no, no. Give unto the treasury of Nebraska what they are owned because we will not claim you if you get evicted over ignorance. God, trust me, I will not pay my mortgage. You are silly. But give unto God what is his. I want to make sure that you understand God doesn't want money. He impressed his face on your life. Give unto Caesar what Caesar's, because his name is on it. But if you gave your heart to Christ, you should give everything to him. The best investment that you can give God is not your money or your time. The best thing you can give God, guess what? You. I really want to encourage the people of God. Pastor Martin's going to come and teach. Now listen, I don't know if you know the difference between Pastor Martin and myself. But Pastor Martin is going to give you kingdom keys that if you apply them today, it'll literally take your life and flip it upside down. Now, this is what I need you to do for me. Pastor Martin's birthday is coming up in April. Absolutely amazing. He's turning 60. But you want to know what the best gift that you could give Pastor Martin today is to actually listen to what is being said, write something down, and then apply what you've written. Because there are too many Christians in the church that have notebooks full of notes from 1992, 1976, 2014. You paid to go to the conference. You got the, 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 the suite that looks overlooks the ocean even though you can't afford it. You bought all the books. But then you never apply what's on the paper. So if you're really interested, not in finances, but in unlocking, minding your business, understanding what God has created you for, the kingdom concepts that you're about to hear in these next 10 minutes, I really want to make sure that you do one thing. Somebody say lean in. Lean in. No, say lean in. lean in. Everybody, could you please stand to your feet and please receive our apostolic leader, the founder of our church, Pastor Martin Williams. Give him some. Thank you, sir. All right. Morning, everybody. Okay, you ready to go to work? All right, get your notebooks out. Let's go. PJ was absolutely right. He talked about the, f the first part of what I was going to share with you. It's so awesome. Um, so let's, let's deal with this and get this out. Joshua opened the gate. Let me shoo the birds out. <laughs> um. There is a kingdom concept, and, I, and I'll show it to you just right out front. How many of you own a house? How many of you own land? Hmm, confusing. Some people own houses, but they don't own the land underneath it. Okay. You lifted your hand because you think you own your house, but you don't. It doesn't matter if it's a $10 million property. I know because I own houses where people didn't pay their taxes. I paid their taxes for three years. Then I own their house. And I don't even own their house. You can own a million dollar house with $14,000 in taxes. And somebody can pay that. $50,000 in taxes for three years and own your house and you don't even know it. 
because you don't own your house. The government owns your house. They own the land underneath your house. Guess where they got that concept from? <laughs> your Bible that many people deny. The queen owns countries she never goes to. She owns them. Her family a thousand years ago learned these principles that we Christians deny. The principle of taxes, the principle of how kingdoms work. So now number two, God has no interest in your poverty None whatsoever. Your poverty is an embarrassment to him. You not having enough is an embarrassment to God. Not to you. To him. He never wanted anybody to glory in their lack. The world church or the Catholic church, the church of the world, teaches those concepts. But if you go to the Vatican, shoot, if you go to one of your Catholic churches here in town and actually get into the rooms where the archives are, you will see hundreds of millions of dollars of net worth because the idea is to keep you poor so that the church becomes rich. Jesus was the opposite in his kingdom. He became poor so that you could be rich. And that's scripture. Now, I know a lot of y'all are new to this. Tell your neighbor, just keep breathing. <laughs> Don't stop breathing on me because if you faint, we ain't got no time to resuscitate you. <laughs> right? In his kingdom... He wants you healthy and wealthy for his name's sake. So that when people see you and you say that you're a kingdom citizen, he wants you to be the example of his love and grace. So any of those concepts, as PJ was talking about, any of those concepts of God wanting you in a place where you are poor and you're worried and you're struggling financially in this world is not a concept that comes from God. And let me just say this right out in the open. God is not interested in our churches who divide the poor and the rich. That's not him at all. Stop listening to these fools who are really supporting a difference in people and what they can have. It's ridiculousness. Still breathing? So to say there is a war in a place where there shouldn't be war because they look different and to say other places in the world where war has never ended and we're okay with that because they look different, there's something wrong with the Christian. So I just decided for me and my family years ago that we would not bow to any of those ideas. 
That's why I told my children, if you're not going to tithe or give an offering, you got to find somewhere else to live. You would have picked your kids out, you bet your bottom dollar. And you'd be a fool to let my kids come to live with you if they're not doing it. Am I making sense? So there are so many reasons why people get stuck. They get stuck when they start thinking about money. They get stuck because they believe that people or God or the church or whoever wants your money. And that's all they're concerned about. When the idea is really stewardship. The idea is really being in charge of something that belongs to someone else that I oversee. PJ said, it all comes from God, it comes into my life, but it all belongs to him. And if I don't pay my taxes in the true kingdom, I lose my opportunity to manage what's his. And I have a desire to manage lots of it. Is that okay with y'all? Look at your neighbor and say, don't, don't let me have to slap you now. Don't, don't be getting weird next to me. We start talking about money. And I do get these, I do get these emails. I've gotten them for 27 years. All you want is our money. You just want money. I don't want to be here because all you talk about is money. I don't, I don't want to hear about money no more. So I'm going to go to the church where they talk about grace. And I said, when they get there, they're going to have an offering just like we got here. They're just not going to tell you how to get more money so you can be a giver. They're not going to tell you how to take care of your family. They're not going to tell you how to bless your neighborhood. They're not going to tell you how to give scholarships. They're not going to tell you how to own homes. They're not going to, they're not going to tell you that. They're just going to say, give me your money. But that is totally up to them, right? So when we talk about entrusted, here's, here's the definition I wrote down for you today. The definition I wrote down is simply this. To be entrusted means to give someone you trust responsibility for something or someone important to manage but be accountable to you. So this idea of giving something to someone that is yours, you're showing trust in them to manage what you give them. But at the end of the day, they are accountable to you. They have to give a report later on. They have, to, they have to show you what it all means. And in the kingdom, as PJ was saying, it's the same way. Here, here, and I didn't, I didn't put this one on the screen, but this is sort of the way I look at life. In the beginning, God created man, and God gave man dominion over the earth, which means that one statement means anything that God wants to do on earth, he wants to do it through man. Once he made it and put you in charge of it, he just can't come down here and do stuff. Anything we see going on in the world that's, that's, that's horrible, that we don't like, that's not good for people, we did it. Point your name and say, yep, you did. You did it. God did not do it. We are in charge. We are driving the car. And if the car is in the ditch, we drove it there. Right? So now... If he wants to do anything good on the earth, who must he come through? He's limited himself. He's limited himself by working through you to get things done here. 
God doesn't need money. He has no mortgage. He has no energy problems. He has no sickness. He has no, none of that stuff happens there. But on earth, we use currency, money. We use land. We use all these, all these opportunities of exchange, right? So if God's going to build this building, you won't show up in the morning on land someplace and a building will be there. There has to be a man or a woman or someone he works through to get his things done. Right? So here's how I look at life. Martin, anything I want to do on earth, if, if it's big, I got to do it through somebody like you. If I want to do anything on earth, Martin, I've got to use you and other people. Because I don't have any money. God doesn't write checks. There is no pink Cadillacs being rained down from heaven. God gave me a pink Cadillac. No, he did not. Somebody paid for that pink Cadillac. Somebody did something. It came into your life. Now, the question is, what do you do with the pink Cadillac when you get it? Do you own it? Are you a steward of it? So anything God wants to do on earth, he's going to give it to me first. My reason for relationship with God is so I know what he wants to do with it once he gives it to me. See, you can pray all you want. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. You can pray all you want. God, use me, use me, use me, use me, use me. And people don't know what that means. That means God's going to put something in your hands that he's going to try to find out if you're in love with it. You can pray and say, somebody says, Martin, what do you want to do? I said, I don't, want, I don't know what God is doing, but I'd love for him to own that Walmart. I'd love for God to own that real estate. It sits on the highest hill. It's 17 acres. It could be a city on the hill. God could use it. God could use it. God could use it in his house. But I had no idea he would ask me for my dream house. Got quiet, didn't it? He had to give me a dream house to give up. Because a little $100,000 house wouldn't have paid. You mean tell me you gave up a dream house? Yes, and I'd do it again 50 million times. Because I don't have a dream house. Only God has a dream house. Get quiet when you start talking about money, don't it? So, so, here, so here's God's concept. God's concept is God created earth and gave man dominion over it. So anything God wants on earth, he gives to you first. And God has reserved the right to ask you. He's reserved the right to ask you for whatever he gave you. He reserves the right to come into your life and say, give me that. Give me a part of that. He's not asking because he needs it. He's asking at the end of the day because you need it. So here's my question for you today. Here's my question for you today, and, and I'm going to show you this little story. I'm going to show you this little story uh, that you've all read, so I hope I can skip through it. If you haven't read it, this is your homework. Turn off Netflix. Don't do that tonight. Don't bring no popcorn out. Get in your Bible. <laughs> the rest of that stuff is junk and 
it's, I mean, and read it now, read it. I mean, I mean, read it for real, digest it, comprehend what it's saying so that you can apply it. Okay, so now God's question to you is, can I trust you? But your question should be, God, can you trust me? Can, can, can you trust me? I want to be in the position where God can trust me. Poverty doesn't happen in your life because people hate you. It don't matter if they like you or hate you. Get out of that. Don't, I mean, get off that stuff when people are, you don't have any haters. They don't exist. If you believe haters exist, you'll spend most of your life in defense. Don't live in haters. They don't exist. Even the people who love you or the people who hate you, all they are is teachers. They're teaching you something about yourself. Pay attention to your haters because your haters are pointing something out. They are a mirror for you. So what really bothers you is not them because they don't think about you as much as you think they do. They are a mirror to you that says what really matters to you. So you're like, uh, okay, Jim hates me because I did this. No, Martin, you're not satisfied in yourself because you have this. It's not them, it's really me. It's a reflection of how I see myself. Y'all still here? So it doesn't matter where I am, who I'm with, how they feel, what they think. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, you really exist inside your own self. Okay. So the question is, can God trust me? Because if God can trust you with some things, he will give you some things. Knowing that you receive these things like this. God, this is so nice. This is a nice car. This is a beautiful thing. Thank you for allowing us to pay cash for it. This is awesome. Praise God. Okay, Martin, you've driven it for three years now. I want you to give it to Sister Kathy. I want you to give, she's been coming to church every week on the bus. And when church goes late and the bus stops running, somebody gives her a ride home. Give her the car. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give this car away because I know how you work. You finna do something stupid. But if you've never been entrusted, you're not trusted. Have you ever wondered why, you ever read the scripture, if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you I was hungry. Y'all read that scripture? What does that mean? God says if I, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. He's saying, but if I was hungry, I would never come to you and ask you for it. I don't want to be a person God doesn't ask. I want God asking me, 
Hey, would you would you go over there and do that? Would you would you go would you go over there and bless? My, my pastor calls me. He calls me. He calls me. He texted me the other day. Hey, can you send me some money? I just need some money. Now I was gonna text him back and say, Hey, hey, pastor, you know what is it for you? Is it something you're doing? Is it what? And God says, What are you talking about? Don't ask him nothing. Just send him the money. He talked about. Just get him a cash app. He got a new cash app just so he can deal with you. So I just sent it. I said, my, I said, my wife, I said, I'm doing something. Pastor called me. She says, stop. Send him the money. Don't be messing our thing up. Can I tell you a story? I, I was, uh, I was, uh, I learned this early as a child. When my parents were gone, I was like, God, there's a dream in my head. I know I'm supposed to do something. I know it. I don't know how to get there, though. And at 16, I was outside with the people in my little church, my little church, and our pastor drove up in a brand-new Lincoln Continental. Drove up. I mean, this car, man, you know, never seen nothing new like that. And all me and my friends, you know, 16, 17, 18, whatever, they start saying, hmm, that's what he's doing with our money. That's what he's doing with our money. You know, he just bought a new car, right? So I'm just the one. I just want to know. So I went to him. I said, now, I just, you know, that is a nice car. I want one one day. I know we live in this shotgun house. You knew my dad and my mom. They're gone now. I said, but I, I want to live nice. He said, yes. He said, yes, all you need to do is tithe. And I said, yes, sir. I never asked him about his car. The next week, he asked me, 16 years old, to drive him around. He didn't ask his kids. He didn't ask anybody in his church. He asked me to drive him around in the new car. I'm like, are you kidding me? I turned the windows. I turned the windows up in the back, the windows down in the back. I turned on the air conditioner, the, the wipers. You know, I turned on everything because everything worked in this car. I said, hot dog. This right here, this is something else. Y'all ever been? Okay, y'all, okay. Have you ever been in a car and the first time in your life everything worked? It had a little dash with the little uh, lights on it, you know. It wasn't that little radio that you tune with your hand, you know. It had a little digital dial, like y'all don't, y'all stuck. So I was just impressed. But while I was driving him to a funeral, he said, my children bought me this car. Now we out there saying the man of God is using the money wrong. And he wasn't even getting an offering from the church. Seven years later, he wrote me a handwritten note before he died. He said, you were always our number one tither. Let me teach you something. You're not responsible for the tithe once it leaves your hand. And a lot of what you see ain't what it is. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. You know, I just didn't like what they were doing with the money. It ain't yours. You're not going to get in trouble unless you don't give. If they're messing it up, let God deal with I don't know 
what's happening with the money. I don't need to know what's happening with the money. I don't need to see the books. I don't need to know. And I know some of y'all come from them churches. We raised $5. We paid our gas bill. It was $1.50. Then we went over here. We had to fix a window in the church, and that was $2. And now we need some more money. We need y'all to give some money today. And you used to sitting down. You used to sitting down. Hurry up now. Let me hurry up. Let me hurry up and get this out of my head. You used to sitting down and seeing the whole budget of the church. You want to see it all. Who are the deacons? And deacons, deacons are sitting down looking at the whole budget, talking about, well, we can't do that no more. We can't buy that. And when now the board wants to talk. So now why y'all over there doing that? You ain't got no money. You're not in charge of managing the money. Let me go ahead and make everybody mad. It's not your job to manage the money. It's your job to come in here and go home and manage your own money. Then sometimes we'll go back and look because I never look at the giving. I, I don't have any passcodes. I can't get into any accounts. I can't write any checks. I am not the signer on anything. But when I do hear a complaint, I ask the accountant who doesn't come to this church. I say, I need to know Brother Jim. How much does he give? And everybody wants to get close to me in my office, in my car, spend time with me, but they don't give a tithe. I'm a 40% giver. If you struggle with a dime out of a dollar, how can I talk to you about millions? If that's your sticking point, what are we doing? Well, I just believe I should take care of my money. 10% of it ain't yours. As a matter of fact, none of it. Why, why am I not making money, Pastor? Why am I, I mean, I'm doing all these principles. Ain't nothing in that principle. Nothing is in that. And now, let me go on the other side of this, which is where I really want to go so I can move on with myself. Some of y'all been tithing and giving for your whole life. You've been sowing into the house of God, not just this one, but wherever you were. It's your nature to give. It's been your nature to tithe. And now it's time for you to harvest. It's time for you to see those dreams that God has given to you. It's time for you to experience it. It's time for you to live in it. So we've got to learn. If we're going to plant Joshua and Callie, if you're going to plant, you also must have the heart to harvest. You're not stealing anything from God when you harvest. Put your sickle in the ground. Put your sickle. Put your sickle in your harvest and cycle it. Cut it loose from the ground. Bring it home. Eat from it. Drive it. Enjoy it. And when people talk about you, just lift your hands to the Lord. Say, God, you've been so good to me. When they say you think you're something, say, God, you've been so good to me. He wants to be good. He just has principles. Lord Jesus. So here now. So stop. Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Right at the top of that page, right underneath that, say, I'm entrusted with a big dream. Big dream. I got a big calling on my life. I may feel like 
the whole earth is fighting me right now. But I got a big calling in my life. I may feel too old, past due, but there's a big calling in my life. There, there, there's something God wants to do through me. I can feel it. It courses in my veins. I try to run from it, but it's what keeps me up at night. It spoils my dinner. I don't have any more friends anymore because all I talk about when I'm with them is this thing. And I'm finding out who can really deal with something big. So now I'm getting lonely. I'm lonely all the time because I don't have many people to talk to. So as I'm taking my morning walk, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Walking in the airport, I'm talking to myself. I'm reminding myself of who I am and how much power there is in me and the calling of God that's on my life. A million dreams are keeping me awake. Now the Lord said this to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land which I will show you and I will make your name great. I will bless you and I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, Abram rather, departed as God, as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Leave Lot at home. And Abram was 75 years old. So at 75 years old, God comes to Abraham and he says, I want to show you something different. So leave what's familiar. I'm going to show you something different, so stop being a Christian and let me show you how to be a citizen in this kingdom. Christians are so confused now, and I've been telling you for years it was coming. He said, I'm going to show you. He made, now listen to me, he made five promises. Write them down. The first promise, he said, you're going to have a big family. You're going to have a big family. The second thing he said to him is everybody will know you. I'm going to make you famous. Everybody's going to know you. You won't have to beg for Instagram followers if you do what I tell you. <laughs> the next one, you will empower others. You're going to bless others. That word there is empower. Not only will you be able to do it for yourself, but you're going to do it for many other families. Next, he promised, I'm going to make it to others' advantage to help you. Which, I'm going to bless those that bless you. In other words, he says, I'm going to make you attractive so people can help you. It's going to be to their advantage if they treat you kindly. And next he said, but I'm going to make it to their disadvantage if they mess with you. In other words, if they mess with you, y'all don't see that in there? Do y'all see that? Is that my interpretation? Or can y'all see it? He said, I'm going to curse those who curse you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. What it literally means is, those who bless you, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to make it to your advantage that people help you. Say it with me. Everybody's going to help me, even if they don't want to help me. People are going to help you for your sake. Please write that down. They're going to help you for their sake. They're going to help you because they get help when they help you. They may not even like you. Say it, to, say it with me. I don't need nobody to like me but me. I don't need anybody to like me. I don't want them to come to my house. 
I don't want to hang out with them. Shoot, I don't want to go on vacation with them. I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to like them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that raw. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Mississippi. I, I'm, I'm not, um, what's the word I want to use? I, I'm not missing something. I'm not needy. I'm not insecure. I don't, you don't need, you, you're not insecure. You don't need somebody around you to make you feel good. You feel good by yourself. So they don't have to like you. But you want to be in the position where they don't want to mess with you. Say it with me. I knew there was some reason. Some people just don't fool with me. They, I know they don't like me. Come on, talk to me. I know they don't like me. But they don't mess with me. They don't want to mess with you. Sometimes you walk in rooms and you know they've been talking about you before you came in. You know how you know? They all stop talking. As so, soon as you walk in. <laughs> the last thing you need to do when you walk into a room and you know they've been talking about you is ask them what they were talking about. Because you don't care. Pastor, I'm trying to find the love in this sermon. No, that's PJ. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how this thing works. Then the last promise he makes <laughs> makes to him, he says, you're going to empower the entire earth. Here's the question. How do I get there? These promises, how do I get there? You have to use Abraham as an example. Because when God told him to move, he gave him a promise at 75. But it wasn't until 130 that he actually saw it. At 75, he was given a promise. And then God took him through a process. Here's the beginning of that process. He had to show Abram something before he could change his name. And you and I see it like this. It's called a tithing misconception. Because Christians keep trying to explain this as a law. So everybody wants to talk to me about the law of tithing. I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's a principle. It's a principle Satanists use. It's a principle in the kingdom of God that allows him to understand if he can trust you. Let, let, me, let me show you what happens. Now, let me, let me, can I tell you the story? Why do I keep asking you? Uh, Abram took Lot. Lot gets in trouble. You know, you bring your nephew with you, he ain't trying to be saved. Right? Okay. 
He ain't trying to do all that. He ain't trying to go to church. He ain't trying to. Brought Lot with him. Lot gets in trouble. He's in Sodom. Five kings from the east come to take everything from the city. Abraham says, this is why I tell y'all. What do you think about the war? I don't think nothing about these wars. It's promise, wars and rumors of wars. It don't mean nothing, Jesus said. And No, he said the end is not yet. <laughs> so there's always going to be wars. There's always been wars. Always going to happen. Don't get wrapped up in that stuff. It's a show. Don't buy a ticket. Because while you're watching that show, they're taking everything from you. They come and Abraham doesn't click in his mind until he find out they took Lot too. Man, Abraham like, oh, you took my nephew. Why, just leave us out of this. But now you took my nephew. He took 318 men born in his own house, locked and loaded, and went after five kings. Abraham, bad dude. I'm telling you, I like that kind of swag myself. I'm sorry, but you know, you, 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 you got my son? You, you, you got my child? <laughs> Call the police. No, I'm calling some men from my house. We coming to get this child. Oh, yeah. He went down there and he brought everything back. He brought Lot back. He brought the people back. He brought the possessions back. But here's the part I want you to read. This is in uh, Genesis 14, 18. He says, now Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He's meeting Abram on the way back from war. And he meets him there. He brings bread and wine. What's that? That's communion. Now, put this in your notes. Hebrews 7 proves, Hebrews 7 proves that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Christ. So Jesus pre-incarnate comes to meet Abram on the way back from war. Is that too deep? That's Hebrews 7. Read it for yourself. Read it in Amplified, NIV, NLT. Read it in every translation you can. All right? This is Jesus. He had no mother, no father, no origin, no nothing. He was, he was the king Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes to meet Abram. What does he bring? Bread and wine. What's that, people? That's communion. So Jesus brings communion to meet Abram. You with me? Now watch this now. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, this, this is the blessing he put on Abram. Blessed be Abram God, uh, of God most high, possessor, capital P, of the heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered. Read it. He's delivered your enemies into your hands, Abram. Now, now watch this next part. You got to really, you really, you really kind of get it. You got to get it. You got to get it. He's delivered your enemies into your hands. And the next phrase is what? This doesn't make sense, does it? He didn't give him a tithe of the spoil. Jesus shows up with bread and wine. Abram says, hey, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. Ladies and gentlemen, this is 400 years before the law. 400 years before the law. Tithing is not a 
law. It is a principle. Okay, y'all want me to prove it? Okay. Y'all want me to prove this too, don't you? I see you, man. I see you sitting out there. You're like holding on to your wallet. It ain't got nothing in it. Let it go. I'm trying to get it full. <laughs> 400 years before the law, Abram says, hmm, if you're the king, I'm going to give you 10% of everything I own. Then his son Isaac did it. Then Jacob did it. Joseph did it. They all did it before it was law. Because it's never been law. Never give to a God you see as a tyrant, a thief, a murderer. <laughs> That's not him. That's the God they're describing. He is a giver and a lover of his children. Proof of that. Now, y'all not going to make me read more, are you? Because what happened next, what happened next, you can look it up in your Bible. What happened next is now after Melchizedek talked to Abram, now the king of Sodom came to talk to him. And the king said, I tell you what, uh, you want all this. He says, uh, I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you part of it. And you just give me the people. Abram says, uh, I don't want nothing from you. Here's what he said. He said, I have already lifted my hands to King Melchizedek. He says, King Melchizedek came and talked to me. And I lifted my hands. In other words, he said, I surrendered to a principle. So he said, I don't want nothing from you. You take it all. Take the money. Take the possessions. Because I don't want you to say you made me rich. Y'all, I'm ready to go right now, Callie. I could run up in here for about 15 minutes. He said, now, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out, Christian. I'm going to help you out, sisters, Christian, Mr. Saint. I plan to be rich. I plan to be rich. I plan to have enough in my family that for the next 10 generations, they won't have to fool around with your stupid system. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, bold face, looking you in your face, I'm telling you, I'm going to be rich. But I'm not going to let this world give it to me. Because they give and they take. If, if you're real bold, tell yourself, you know what? I plan to be rich. I plan to have enough that fits my family. It fits my family. It fits my generations. It fits what my great-grandchildren are going to need in the pocketbook to get done what they need to get done. Abram says, I can't. I can't let you go out of here and tell somebody you made me rich. I've lifted my hands to the Lord. I don't just come in to worship to sing songs I don't mean. 
When I lift my hands, I'm saying, like PJ said, I've come to lift my hands to this principle. Has anybody ever tried to steal from you? I mean, I'm talking about a tricycle, a popsicle, a house, or a billion bucks. Has anybody tried to take something from you? And you didn't even know they were trying to take it away. You didn't even know they were trying to steal from you. And then God stepped in, shined a light on it, and said, no, you can't steal from this one. Not this one. You can't take from this one because this one is supplying what I need for my kingdom. Shout one more time. It's God's will for me to be rich. Hmm, rich, huh? You think it's God's will for you to be rich? Let me say the opposite. It's God's will for me to be poor. Which one makes you the most upset? Yes, I get pretty animated and upset and bothered when people give that idea you ought to just be glad you got a job. Now, you own the company. You own the billion-dollar company, but you want to tell me that I, I ought to just be glad I got a job. What you're telling me is that you control me. You mean to tell me I got to serve you and not serve God? I'm not going for that, not from you or anyone else. I left a place like that. I'm telling you, I was already living in a box. But when they told me, when they told me, I saw my wife, I wasn't married. I saw my children, I didn't have kids. But when they told me, you ought to be glad you got a job working here, I'm saying, oh, heck no. I cannot pass this idea on to my children. So I taught them. Trust in God. If your daddy fails, trust in God. If your mother fails, trust in God. If this system fails, trust in God. Do what God tells you to do and you'll have everything you need. Shoot, let me finish this up. Y'all stop messing with me. It's a concept. Now in Genesis 15, let me move quick. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram because now, now Abram, Abram is 99. He says, he says, 99, you know, 24 years later. Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, listen to Abraham. What did Abraham say? Read it out loud. Read it loud with me, please. Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir in my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer was 85 now. He says, I have no children. You're talking about blessing me. You made me a promise 25 years ago, but I don't have a child. What you talking about? <laughs> right? Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, say it loud, everybody. This one, but one Write this down. Where I'm living right now financially, this is not my inheritance. What's happening to me now in my family and in my business or my job or whatever it is, this is not my inheritance. This is not my son. 
This right here is not my son. Come on, y'all. This is not my son. This is not my son. This is not my son. It's not Eliezer. There's something big for me. There's something bigger for me in the kingdom of God. What I'm living right now is not my son. This is not what I'm giving birth to. This is just the situation I'm in. Teach your children. Teach them boldly. Teach them in their face. Teach them, teach them when they go to bed and teach them when they get up. Look at the Venuses in your life and say to Venus, you're going to be the best in the world. I know we live in Compton. I know we ain't got nothing, but I see it in you. I got a plan for you, sweetheart. You might be in trouble now, but I see you in your future. Say to Serena, you're going to do more than your sister. You're going to be the best in the entire world. You're going to tell them now. You're like, well, they're little. Tell them now. Look at them in the face and don't blink. Don't laugh when you say it. Don't say I was kidding. Say, my name is your mother, and I'm telling you, you're going to do some amazing things. You're going to go so much further than we got. And everything we're putting in store, we could spend it, but we're going to give it to you because we know you're going to do something bigger with it. Shout, I ain't giving up on my kids. So he says, that won't be your heir. Now, I'm just going to put this in there now. If you don't trust God and he can't trust you, you're going to mess this up. You're going to find a Hagar and go to bed with her. And you're going to give birth to an Ishmael. Now Ishmael is going to fight your money the rest of your life. So don't, don't mess with this. Stay with Sarah. She might be 90, but she's going to have a kid. <laughs> Stay with the original idea. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay, so now, six. There's this promised child. Here it comes. The promised child. And he said, I will certainly return. He says, I'm going to return by this time next year. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind them. And the Lord said to Abraham, why is your wife laughing? Why is Sarah laughing? Shall I surely, shall I surely bear a child? Sarah's asking. I'm 90 years old and you said at 91 I'm going to bear a child. So you're laughing. Sometimes you can live so long without the promise. You start laughing when God says next year. Shabbat say, next year you can, you finna walk in this. You're like, God, there ain't no way. I'm going to walk in this next year. My life is really over right now. My family's falling apart. I just lost my job. The last child, now it was a miscarriage. This business did not work. It's not, it's, I'm too old. I'm, I'm too wearied. I'm worn out. I've been through too much. God, I'm good right here. Don't give me another thing that doesn't happen. Don't put me in a position where I start believing again and I put all my trust in your words. For me, I just don't see it. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I'm sick. I'm under it all. So 
To hide my pain, I laugh. To hide my pain, I go to comedy shows. I go see Kevin Hart. I mean, I want to see somebody that will make me laugh, that will just get me out of this space. I'm on TikTok now, and I have searched to make me laugh. And for an hour, I just watch TikToks and go, ha, 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 when my mouth is laughing, but my heart is hurting. There's something inside me that still longs for Isaac, but I don't think I could live through another letdown. And if I can be honest with you, God, it's not you I'm concerned about. It's really me. I know you're good. I just don't know if I have the faith to wait until you're good. I, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm, I just don't, I don't have anything else. I don't have any other way to use my faith. And that's why at the end of it all, God puts you to sleep. And he says to you, you're not going to chase vultures anymore off your gift. The promise I made to you, you go to sleep. This is something you got to trust me to do. This is something you got to let me work this out in your life. You can't fight the stuff that's fighting you. And it's a waste of your time and energy to try to do so. You have to let God fight some of these battles. She laughed, but here's the question. I wish you could preach it. I wish you could preach this question because God has the same question for you. Is there anything? Without an organ and hype, is there anybody in here that will ask God, that, that, that will ask God a question and ask yourself a question? Is there anything? Too hard for the Lord. Put your phone down. Put your phone down. Put your phone down. If you put your phone down, I can preach to you for a minute. Put your notebook down just for a minute. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? We might have to get stuck here. Is, is, there, is there anything? Can a woman have a baby without a uterus? I'm working with men who in one year, they went from poverty to earning two million. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, there are 30 of you just to stand on your feet right now and you'll ask yourself a question. Is there anything? Uh, yeah. I'm not talking about in church. I'm not talking about healings. Is there anything too hard for the Lord. Is there anything too hard for him? Can he tell you something and you walk away thinking it's difficult? 
why do we do this to ourselves? That God tells me something he's going to do and I see it as hard. What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing to myself if God shows me something and I say it's too hard? Talk to me, y'all. Talk to me. This is AWC. We're not some Presbyterian church. This is your place. This is your moment. If it's not too hard for him, let him Yeah, that idea. Now pick up, your, pick up your iPad. Pick up your phone. Standing right there. Pick it up right now. Pick up your notebook. Put it in your hand. And write down that thing that God told you. Write it down right now. Write it down right now. Write it down right now. And after you write it down, say to yourself, there is nothing too hard for God. You, now you're fixing to get it. You're fixing to get it, Holy Ghost Field Church. You're fixing to get it. Pastor Josh was telling you he wants to bring something to you. He wants to put you in a position. He wants to give you dominion in an area over something. It may have been 25 years since you heard it. But he never forgets. And it, there's nobody in his life he needs to repent to. He doesn't have to tell anybody I'm sorry for doing this for Ethel. <laughs> I know you don't like Jim, but I'm going to do it. He doesn't do any of that. He just does what he does for you. There's absolutely nothing too hard for him. Can he trust you? Because here where it is, here's where it's at. After Isaac is born, we go straight to the test. Here's the test. The test goes like this. If you want to sit, you can. Just give me three more minutes. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abram. Here comes the test. I gave you Isaac. I gave you your dream. He's 130 now. <laughs> I gave you what I promised. What you didn't know, Abraham, now, what you didn't know is I gave him to you so you could give him back. <laughs> Now I'm going to find out, Abram, if I can trust you. And if I can't trust you, you have wasted 130 years of my planning. Because what I want to do as God is I want to save the whole world. So the promise, the five promises I made to you were really the promises I want for myself. But I just need you to be an example of it. So I gave you Isaac, and now I'm asking you, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. God never likes baby sacrifices. That ain't God. That is not Christian. He didn't kill a lot of babies. He doesn't kill babies. 
This is a principle. Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I will tell you. Down to the next verse. And Abraham said to his young son. So Abraham just got up and left. But this is what he did next. And Abraham said to his young son, stay, to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will both be back. So he says, go sacrifice him on a mountain. Abraham said to the guys with him holding the donkey, he said, y'all stay here. Me and Isaac are going up to worship. He's calling this first fruit offering worship. He says, we're going up there to worship and we'll both be back. No, no, no. God said you're going to sacrifice him. Abraham said, I know how God works now. Y'all can't fool me on this one. <laughs> you can't trick me on this one. Y'all be on the, y'all be talk, people be talking to me lately. I don't know why they talk to me on vacation. They're trying to talk to me about Christianity and how it doesn't work and how they don't believe in God no more. And I'm like, why are we doing this? I don't know. I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not trying to do all that. I'm Christ-like, but I'm a kingdom citizen. You can mess around all that you want. I don't care. I don't have time for that. And everybody wants to say how it's not working and all this stuff and the world coming to an end and da-da-da-da-da and somebody stole an election and somebody did that and another. Why you got your mask on while you're around me? It ain't got nothing to do with you. Got everything to do with me. Do what you got to do. I ain't trying to do all that. I don't know what, y- I don't know what y'all doing. Makes absolutely no sense to me. So what is happening? I'm like, listen, we're going up there to worship and we both coming back. Because I know who God is. Watch this now. Listen to what Isaac says. Isaac says, my father, here I am, my son. Then Isaac's like, I understand how these sacrifices go. I'm 30. I've been doing this with you every week. We give an offering every Sabbath. So I see the fire. I see the wood. Now, uh, what we finna kill? We got to burn something, something with blood in it. That's how this covenant works. And his father says this, and if you read it in the redacted, you'll hear him saying this. He says, son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. In other words, he's saying God will provide himself as a sacrifice. What Abraham didn't know is that God wanted to trust him so that eventually God could give his own son. Because he gave Abram, us, charge of the world. God couldn't just come and give Jesus. Somebody on earth had to do it first. The principle of first fruit, the principle of first fruit has to be practiced here on earth. And then it let God say, I'm going to give you Jesus now. I'm going to give you my only begotten son, whom I love. And he'll save everybody else. But Abram now is challenged. He pulls the knife up and he calls him twice. Abraham, Abraham. Because Abraham was getting ready to do the deed. Okay. Because, Because Hebrews 7 and Romans 12 tells you why. Abram said this. Because you're going to save the world through my son. I just believe that even if I killed him, you would raise him from the dead. 
which is what God did in Jesus. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying? You don't hear what I'm saying? So now Abraham's question is, can God trust me? Can God trust me to give me something big that I love and then come and ask me for it? Can God give me something that's amazing? I wish, and I know you're tired of hearing it, but I wish you could have walked through our dream house with us that we had the money for down payment. Me and my girl, we were so proud and proud to bring our kids into this house. Beautiful on a golf course with a lake in the back. Had all these rooms. We're going to raise our children here so we could show them what God was teaching us. Took us a long time to save this money. And at the closing for this building, the building needed the exact amount to close. It was hidden in the contract that we didn't see. It was a miscalculation of several hundred thousand dollars. Hallelujah. Every time I think about it, it just brings me joy. That God would say to us sitting at the table, because the man who wanted this building was going to pay $3 million more for it. We tricked him up in this deal because, you know, God, okay. God gets you stuff you can't afford. Sitting at the table at closing, our chairman of the board, Joanne Cooper, was there. Where's Joanne? Sitting, chairman of the board, sitting in there, and we were a couple hundred thousand dollars short. Linnell kicked me under the table. She says, that's the exact amount we're supposed to give them next week for our down payment on our dream house. I said, I know. She said, Martin, God gave us the money. I said, he did. I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. You mean God, you're asking us in this moment and about then, Joanne, remember, they got a call from the guy who wanted the building. And he was like, you know, y'all got two more hours left to close this deal. If y'all don't close this deal in two hours by contract, I get to buy the building. So Linnell and I said, we have the money, praise God. We were called in that moment. And Joanne said, okay, what are we going to do, pastor? I said, I'm going to call my bank. And I'm going to ask them, what do I need to do? So we called our bank. They said, yes, it's cash. What do you want to do? I said, well, we need to come pick it up. They said, you ain't got to come pick it up. We got a relationship with your title company. We can have it in their account in 15 minutes. Y'all, I went to the men's bathroom. I had mistaken it for the women's bathroom because there were so many tears in my eyes. And I went in the men's bathroom. I said, God Almighty, what kind of God do I serve? I ain't never seen nothing like this in my life. I've heard a lot of sermons. I heard a lot of preachers. But I've never been in this position one day in my life to see God come and ask me to buy a building. Can God trust you? If he can trust you, he's getting ready to put something in your hands. He's getting ready to give you control over something. He's getting ready to give you something that's bigger than you. But just be warned, he might come to ask for it. He might come to ask you to do something with it. He might come to you and say, now, here's how I want you to use it. Here's who I want you to bless. Here are the doors I want you to open. Here's the thing I want you to buy. Here's the person I want you to help. Here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do when you get there. That's why he's doing it. Because obeying God 
in your giving is trust. That's trust. It's trusting him with what he's given you. And you don't have to listen to any man. Forget every man, woman, and child in your life. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to them. Listen to God. Because whatever he asks you for matches what he's trying to give you. So lift those hands now. I don't want to need your money. I've already lifted my hands. The reason the power isn't coming the reason the open doors isn't coming, the reason the investments may not be working is because God is setting you up to be trusted. I remember that discussion. I remember that discussion, Trish and, Trish and Butler's, years ago. When we got a revelation where we, we were together, Pastor Nell, we were together and we were reading that scripture and God said to us, he said, Martin, I will provide myself a lamb. I don't need you to produce Jesus for me. I just need you to give, give me permission to send him. I don't need you to do something huge and big. I just want you to do something with what I gave you. And that's going to open you up to be a blessing to the whole world. All right, there are any of you in this place today, you're unashamed to say, I want to be a blessing to the whole world. My block, my neighborhood, my city, my, my state, my nation, the world. I want to be in a position to help everyone I can help. If he can trust you, tell him. Lift your hands and tell him. Come on, tell him. Just tell him, God, you can trust me. You can trust me. Come on, talk to him. You can trust me. You can, you can trust me. You can trust me. I'm done laughing. I'm not going to laugh anymore. I'm not going to laugh at what you're trying to give me. I'm, it's not comical to me. I believe what you're saying. I see the dream in my head. I feel it in my heart. And I believe you want to do something in my life, my family's life, my children, God. You have a plan for us. You have something huge for us. I'm going to find the courage. Last thing I want you to do. Read the end of this story because this is how it ends. Abraham said, how am I going to know you're going to do it? God told Abraham to divide three animals and bring two others undivided. He brought them. He put Abraham to sleep. God walked among 
the blood of the animals. And he talked to Abraham in Abraham's sleep. And he said to Abraham, I have sworn by myself. In other words, what's getting ready to happen next is going to seem impossible to you, but it's me doing it. Twelve of you need to get on your knees right where you are and just go to sleep. You need to get on your knees and say, I'm done. I'm done fighting. I'm done trying to make it happen. I'm just going to obey when you tell me. You need to go ahead and fall asleep in your consciousness and just say, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust God to do it. I'm going to trust him to open the doors. I'm going to let him do the fighting. It's a covenant he's making with me. This is not something I'm working for. This is not something I'm making happen. This is something I'm receiving from God. I know we got to go, but right now I'm in the 400 years of some of y'all's generations. Just go to sleep. Don't worry. Sometimes God can have a call on a person's life and they're struggling with it. But it's difficult for you to fight against a big idea God has for you. You'll never win that battle. He's got something for you that's bigger than you. You're never going to win that one in your head. You just have to go to sleep. You just have to accept it and let God do it. Because it's really none of your business. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you. And I pray that God will give you courage to receive what he has for you. I pray that God will give you courage to say yes when God asks. And may the blessing of the Lord be upon you. May the Lord cause you to be a great nation. May the Lord cause you to be known by everybody. May everybody know your name. May it be two people's advantage to bless you. May it be two people's disadvantage to curse you. And may everywhere you go, you are a blessing. Two things. Don't stay where you are. We're not going to end in a big rush because God is fixing the heart posture of people in this room. It's okay for you to want more. It's okay to ask God to give you what he promised you. So we don't want to disrupt that. Is that all right? But two things. 
For those of you that are interested in becoming a part of AWC, journey to, journey to partnership begins today. It's not too late. It's, it's, it's not a big jump of faith, but we want you to become a part of what we're doing and this is the way that you do it. The second thing is this, is that everything that Pastor Martin talks about, everything we're gonna talk about for the next couple of weeks, you can get all the principles you want, but if you do not have relationship with who God is, <laughs> you can work the principles and be wealthy, but there's this thing called grace. God's grace covers you in all the areas where you have gaps. How many of you guys got some gaps? There's, there's some areas in all of our lives. Even though I know, God, there are gaps. God's grace covers the gap between you and your money, your finances, and the people that you love. So we're going to pray a prayer. Pastor Martin's already released you. But are there any people in the room that you would like to either give your heart to Christ for the first time today or that you'd like to rededicate your life to who God is? I want you to slip your hand up. Go for it. Anyone? Anyone? Anybody online? I see you. Anybody? I don't see. I see you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you. Here it is. Here at AWC, we all pray together because this is the best decision that you're going to make with your life. I promise you. The best decision you're going to make with your life. And the reason why I know is because can somebody say we know? You're about to join into a family that doesn't just want you to do well, but you're about to give your life to a God that knew that you were going to make this decision today and waited for you anyway. Can we pray? Here it is. Father God, we thank you for each person that has made the decision to give their heart to you. God, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that you loved me so much that you gave your son in hopes that I would choose you. God, today, I make the decision not just to love you, but to entrust you with all that I am. Here's my life. Here's my soul. Here's everything I am. Take me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, today, I am saved. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, can you slip your hand up? We see, we see you. Congratulations. We see you. Congra hey, what did I say? Congratulations. Welcome to the family. The best decision you've made in your entire life. So exciting. Is anybody happy that you came to church today? Now listen, I know I see some of you guys still on your knees. We're going to leave in this same atmosphere, a place of worship. Some of you may need to come to the altar. But how many of you guys know that your heart changed a little bit today? Yeah, make sure that you lock in for the next couple of weeks. If you need to, join the small group that talks all about finances. Because listen, God doesn't just want your money to be free. He wants you to be free. Here it is. Father God, we thank you for each person that has shown up today. Every single person that watched online. And also for the, for the people that gave their heart to you for the first time. God, may we learn how to become entrusted with what you've given us as we begin to trust you more. God, in Jesus' name, we ask that this sermon series would touch the lost, heal the broken, and bring those close to the cross. In Jesus' name, and if you trust God, somebody said what?